0: if you haven't noticed, today is the first Sunday of December, which means the Christmas season has officially begun. (laughs) Oh, wow. You guys are excited. I think there was one person in the eight that was like, (laughs) woo. There you go. It also means uh, that the season of Advent has begun. Uh, Advent is a Latin word which means arrival. It's the season in the church calendar, the four weeks leading into Christmas, where we anticipate the arrival, the coming of Jesus. And this is what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Now, let me just say, kids, it is great to have you in the service with us. Hope you have your sermon sheets ready. If you fill that out and uh, bring it down here to the front to me after the service, I have a massive bowl of lollies down there, which if mum and dad say it's okay, uh, you can have one. So make sure you fill it out and bring it to me after the service. Now to begin, uh, let me ask you a question. What is your favorite thing about Christmas? What is your favorite thing about Christmas? Kids, what about you? Presents. I was gonna say giving gifts to mum and dad, maybe. Gifts are one of the great things about Christmas. Uh, Personally, I'm partial to the food and the drink time with friends and family, decorating the Christmas tree, watching Christmas movies, It's a Wonderful Life, Home Alone, Elf, The Grinch, Die Hard, it's a Christmas movie, all right. I suspect that for many of us, one of our favourite things about Christmas is the music, the songs, Listening to to Christmas carols and singing Christmas songs, unless you work in retail and you have to listen to All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey, you know, three billion times throughout the month of December. I worked for Woolies for five years, I get it. But for many of us, uh, the Christmas songs are one of the really special parts of the season and and all of us have our favourites, don't we? Uh, For for many of us, I'm sure when you were sharing your favourite carol before, O Holy Night, was probably mentioned a few times. Silent Night, O Calm, All Ye Faithful, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I mean, I could go on and on. There are lots of Christmas songs that we know and love. Because these songs are a really special part of the Christmas season. And what we're doing over the next few weeks is we're kicking off a new sermon series called Christmas Playlist we're looking at, for the next four weeks, the original Christmas carols, the four songs which were sung at the very first Christmas. Now, we find these songs in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is one of the four historical accounts of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And when Luke recounts the events of Jesus' birth, he includes these four songs. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at Mary's song. Next week, we'll look at Zechariah's song. The week after that, the angel's song. And then on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we'll explore Simeon's song together. Now, the question is, why would Luke include these songs? Why is the Christmas story surrounded by singing? Well, let me ask you this question. Why do we sing at Christmas? Because the truth is, we sing at Christmas more than any other time of the year. I mean, you go to the shops, there'll be carolers. You, you come to church, we'll be singing. Uh, at our Christmas festival, in a couple of weeks' time, it is gonna be jam-packed with songs. Uh, you turn on the TV, just about every channel will have its own Christmas carol event. There are even some parts of the world where you walk through the streets singing Christmas carols. Knock on people's door and, and start singing them a song. A few years ago, I was in Canada uh, for a family holiday, I was staying in this ski village, and we actually walked through the streets of this village singing Christmas carols. Not just us, you know, that would have been weird. (laughs) Lots of people. I was hiding in the middle somewhere. We sing at Christmas more than any other time of the year. And the question is, why? The answer is because Christmas is worth singing about. Christmas is really good news. Christmas tells us that God has come to us. That we couldn't go to God, so God came to us. That we couldn't reach God, so God reached down to us. That we couldn't save ourselves, so God saved us. That's really, really good news, and that is worth singing about. Here's the way Paul Tripp puts it, he says, what better reason to sing than this? The Saviour is born to live, die, and rise again to fix what sin had broken. I mean, it is no wonder that people were singing at the first Christmas. It's no wonder that Luke records these four songs that we're going to be looking at together. And today, we're going to begin with Mary's song. Now, before we uh, look at Mary's song, let me just tell you a little bit about Mary's situation. Uh, Kids, I'm sure you know who Mary was. Mary is the mother of Jesus. Now, Mary was probably uh, relatively young at this point in the story, maybe uh, late teens, early 20s. Uh, She was engaged to a man named Joseph, uh, but an angel had appeared to her to tell her that before she would be married to Joseph, she was going to give birth to a baby boy. Now, as you can imagine, Mary had some questions. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 34, she asked the angel, "'How will this be, since I am a virgin?' The angel answered, verse 35, "'The Holy Spirit will come on you, "'and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. "'So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. "'Even Elizabeth, your relative, "'is going to have a child in her old age.'" and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Now, this is big news for Mary. You can imagine she would have needed to process this a little bit, and so she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who's mentioned there in the passage. She goes to Elizabeth's home in Judea, and it's there in Judea that Mary sings this song, the first recorded Christmas carol in history. Now, what was the message of Mary's song? What does she have to teach us about God? Well, as we look at the song together, we're going to see Mary teaches us three things about God. That God is mindful of us, that God is mighty over us, and that God is merciful to us. We're going to look at these three things together. Now, before we dive in, let me just mention a book that we'll be bouncing out of for this series, Alistair Begg is a a minister in Cleveland in the United States, wonderful preacher of God's Word. He's written a book called Christmas Playlist that is very helpful and that we'll be uh, leaning on in this series. The first thing uh, we see in Mary's song is this, the first truth about God is that He is mindful of us. Mary begins her song in this way, by praising God. Verse 46, my soul, she says, glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. And so Mary is overjoyed. She's rejoicing. Now, why is she overjoyed? Well, she goes on in verse 48. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary was a young woman in a society which didn't think much of young women. Mary was not rich or powerful or successful. She was poor and lowly and from a forgotten town. And yet, God comes to her. God appears to her. God could have found a rich and powerful queen. You know, someone that had lots of servants that could wait on his son. Someone that could have given his son a whole lot more security than Mary. But this is not what God does. This is not the way that God works. He doesn't come to the rich and powerful. He comes to this lowly young woman. And Mary is amazed that God would come to her, that God would think of her, that God would pay attention to her, that God would remember her. She is nothing in the eyes of the world, but she is valuable in the eyes of the one who made the world. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, this is great news for Mary, wonderful for Mary, but what about me? Is God mindful of me? Does God care about me? Does God even know my name? Look at how Mary ends the song. She goes on and she says, He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as He promised our ancestors. Mary is saying, God is not only mindful of me, He's also mindful of His people. He has remembered His promises. In fact, Alistair Begg says, God is mindful of Mary as an individual because He is mindful of His people as a whole. Her significance lies in the fact that she is part of God's plan for His people. See, here's the amazing thing, Mary is caught up in God's plan to save the world, to redeem everyone, a plan that has been in motion for thousands of years. I mean, 2,000 years earlier, God had made some promises to a man named Abraham, which were just massive. God said to this man named Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you and your descendants. And all the way through the Old Testament, you see God saying to Abraham's descendants, saying to his people, I haven't forgotten my promise. I will bless the world. And as the Old Testament unfolds, we see that this blessing is actually going to be a person. God is going to send a Messiah, a Savior, a King, and He will bring blessing to the world. He will fix what is broken. He will restore what is lost, and Mary is now recognizing that the baby that is growing inside of her is not just God being mindful of her, but it's God remembering His promises. It's God being faithful to His Word, being faithful to His people, it's God bringing blessing to the whole world. And that includes you, and it includes me. And so if you're wondering, is God mindful of me? Does God care about me? Does God know my name? The answer is a resounding yes. And we know it's yes because of Christmas, because of the baby that's growing inside Mary. I mean, look at what God has done for you. Look how near God has come to you. He's not removed from you. He's not distant from you. He is personally involved. He has even become like one of us. You know, we tend to measure greatness by distance and by isolation. And so in our world, the more money you have, the more status you have, the more you can remove yourself from others. You know, the the longer your driveway will be, the higher your fence will be, the more security guards you'll have around you, the more exclusive clubs that you'll be able to get into. We tend to measure greatness by isolation and distance. I mean, as Australian citizens, you and I are subjects of King Charles. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had a phone call from him. Never knocked on my door. Doesn't know my name. Doesn't even know that I exist. His greatness is revealed in how removed he is from you and I. But God is gloriously different. God is high and exalted and far above us, but his greatness is seen in his closeness to us. His glory is revealed in his intimacy with us. He does know my name. He does know your name. He does care about our lives, the responsibilities that weigh on you, the disappointments that gnaw at you, The cares and concerns that keep you awake at night. He sees and he knows. Your hopes and your dreams. God is mindful of you. Alistair Begg says, if you do not believe in God because he is distant, uncaring and unhelpful, I understand. I do not believe in that God either. Here is the God of Christmas, of history. He is a God who knows you and he cares about you. And He makes promises to you. And He acts to help you. He is the mindful God. And this is why Mary rejoices, because God has been mindful of her humble estate. God is mindful of you. But this leads us to the second truth that Mary shows us in this song. God is mindful of us, but what we also see is that God is mighty over us. Mary goes on to sing, verse 49, the mighty one, That's how she describes God. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And so the God who is close and mindful of us, he is also the God who is strong and mighty over us. Kids, it's like the the song that you sing in kids' church. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do good job. You guys did way better than the 8am kids. They gave me nothing. Ben, our community pastor, had to help me out. Now, what does this mighty God do? How does God reveal His might to us? Well, what Mary goes on to say is that He does it by flipping things on their heads, by reversing our expectations. Look at what Mary sings. She goes on, she says, This mighty God, He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know, the proud, the rulers, the rich, these are the successful people in our world. These are the people we look to. These are the people we want to be. These are the people that matter, but not in God's kingdom. Through the baby that's to be born to Mary, God will scatter the proud. God will bring down rulers and God will send the rich away empty. Now, why would God do this? I mean, at first glance, to scatter and to bring down and to send away, uh, you know, it it seems at odds with a God who is mindful of people, with, with a God who cares about people. But the truth is, God does these things not because he doesn't care, but because he does care. He does it to reveal the faulty foundations that we put our trust in. He does it to expose our tragic delusion as human beings, the delusion that we are mighty and strong, the delusion that we are in control of our destinies. I mean, what Mary is saying here, and what we've really seen throughout history, is that the more educated you are, the wealthier you are, the more powerful you are, the less likely you are to humble yourself before God. It's not that you can't, it's not that you won't, it's not that God can't change your heart, but it just means it's less likely. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. The point is that when life is good, when we are comfortable, when we 've got degrees on the wall, food in the fridge, money in the bank it 's easy for us to begin to imagine that we don 't really need God it 's easy for us to forget that we won 't live forever, and it makes us harder for us it makes it harder for us to humble ourselves before God It. it, it um, reminds me of a letter uh, that I read, uh, read once, it was a letter written about hundred years ago from uh, the wife of the president of Harvard, you know, one of the most prestigious universities in the world. She sent this letter to her good friend, who was a, a Christian, a believer in Jesus, and she said to her, my dear, every Sunday, do you get down on your knees with your children and confess that you're miserable sinners? Neither my children nor I will ever do such a thing. You see, great wealth, great learning, great comfort, great prominence, sadly, these things can, can often mean great spiritual danger. And, and for most of us, I mean, we probably find ourselves in a, in a dangerous position. We live in, in a, a somewhat dangerous country. We live in a, a wonderful country. I mean, Australia, there's not many better places in the world to live than in Australia. But the truth is, our comfort, our affluence it might actually be spiritually dangerous. It it, it might dull us to the glory of God and our need for Him. Because the Bible says that if we want to enter God's kingdom, we actually have to become poor in spirit. Do you remember what Jesus said, Matthew 5? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the door into the kingdom of God is down low and you have to get down low to enter in. You have to humble yourself. Reminds me of a story I read this week. Um, There was a man, um, before he became a pastor and a theologian, he was a truck driver. And he describes the following encounter. He said, I'd pulled my semi up behind a convenience store to grab a cup of coffee. As I climbed out of the truck, a woman walked up to me. Her face burned a deep brown. Stained jeans and sockless shoes. Nothing wrong with sockless shoes. (laughs) Stained jeans and sockless shoes and weary eyes. Sir, she said, I hate to bother you, but can you help me? Pointing over her shoulder, she said her husband was in the dumpster. They were hungry and he was digging for food. Could I give them anything? When I came out of the store a few minutes later, she and her husband were standing beside my truck. I handed them the two sandwiches I'd bought inside. The man took them, handed them to his wife, and stretched out his hand. I shook it, feeling the grime and grease of the dumpster on his palm. On his weathered face glowed a gratitude more profound than anything I've ever witnessed. Thank you, sir, he said. Thank you so much. We don't have hardly nothing. Just got to town a few nights ago, been sleeping under the bridge over there. But God, he always seems to send people to help us out. Jesus has been good to us that way. He always provides. And thanking me again, they walked away out of my life, but never from my memory and gratitude. A man who had no address, no car, no savings account, who was about to eat out of a trash can. He told me, that Jesus has been good to us that way. Every time I think of that dumpster sermon, I remind myself that wisdom lurks in the outer places. Rich gratitude among the impoverished and forgotten. Jesus has been good to us that way. Yes, he has. And Jesus was good to me in sending that man into my life for a few brief moments. He reminded me that God has friends in low places. In low places, profound faith flourishes. The mighty God is at work in the world to lift up the humble, to fill the hungry. Now the question is, what does this look like for us? How do we receive this? How do we humble ourselves before God? And this leads us to our third and final point. See, God is mindful of us. God is mighty over us. And thirdly and finally, God is merciful to us. Mary sings in verse 50. She says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Now, you could summarize all that God has done as His mercy to us. Now, what is mercy? Someone asked you to define it, how would you do it? Well, very simply, mercy is undeserved kindness. Now, let's imagine for a moment that I'm reversing my car in the car park after the service, and I hit your car, smash into the front, and I smash your headlight. Now, you come out, and you're a bit annoyed, and I'm sorry about that, you know, um, let me, let's exchange details, and, and I'll, I'll sort it all out. And you say to me, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You don't have to pay. I'll pay for it. That's undeserved kindness. It's mercy. And this is what God has given to us in Jesus. Jesus has lived the life that you and I have failed to live. Jesus has died the death that you and I deserve to die. Jesus has paid our penalty on the cross. So that when God looks at us, he says, you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus has paid it for you. This is undeserved kindness from God. Now the question is, how do you receive this mercy? Well, Mary tells us in verse 50. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. In other words, God's mercy is not for the proud, not for those who are always looking down and they don't look up, to see God. God's mercy is for the humble. It's for those who fear God. Now, this doesn't mean to be afraid of God, but it does mean to relate to God rightly, to recognize He's the Creator and you're the creature, that He's God and you are to trust Him, submit to Him, listen to Him. I mean, this is how Mary responded to God. Uh, Earlier in the story, when the angel appeared to her to tell her that she's going to have a baby boy, she responded, didn't say, what are you talking about? She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She trusted God, she believed God, she submitted to God and she received mercy from God. And this is why she overflows in gratitude to God in this song. I mean, remember what Mary said at the start of the song, my spirit rejoices in God my savior. This whole song is a song of thanksgiving to God for the mercy He's given to her, for the salvation He's given to her. And here's a question you and I have to answer. Have you received mercy from God like Mary? Now, how do you know? Lord, well, ask this. Are you responding like Mary? Are you rejoicing in God? Are you thankful to God? Are you amazed at God's mercy to you? You can just see in this song that Mary is amazed that God has come to her, shown mercy to her. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. The Mighty One has done great things for me. She is utterly astonished. She is utterly amazed. And every Christian should have the same astonishment and amazement as Mary. That God would bless us in this way that God would give us a gift like Christ. In fact, this note of astonishment, this note of wonder is a sign that you've truly understood the gospel, that you've truly grasped the true message of Christianity. I mean, if you think that Christianity is mainly about what you do, it's mainly about going to church and believing certain things and living a certain kind of life, if someone asks you, are you a Christian, you'll probably respond by saying, I think I am. I mean, it's it's not easy, it's hard work, but I'm doing my very best. No sense of wonder or surprise or awe, because you think Christianity is something mainly done by you. But when you understand the Gospel, when you grasp that Christianity at its heart is something that Christ has done for you, That's something, it's something that Christ is doing in you. If someone asks you, are you a Christian? (laughs) You'll shake your head and you'll say, I am, by the sheer undeserved grace of God. It's a miracle, I mean me, who would have thought it? But I am. You might even begin to sing like Mary. And so let me close by asking you, are you a Christian, but you've lost your sense of awe and wonder and astonishment? You need to see, you need to let Mary remind you that God is mindful of you and that God has shown mercy to you in Christ. Or maybe you're not a Christian because you've never really seen this God, this God that Mary shows us. You've had some ideas about God, but but they're not this God that we find in this song. The God who is mindful of us. The God who is mighty over us. And the God who has been merciful to us in Christ. Because when you see Him, everything changes. Let's pray. Father in heaven thank you for your mercy thank you that you have looked upon our humble state our sinful state and you have not turned away from us, you have not walked away from us but you have come near to us in Jesus and he has even died for us on the cross and rose again to give us life. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, on all that He's done for us, so that we might be filled with awe and wonder and astonishment at what you've done. So that we might say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. And we pray this in Jesus' name.